You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 123, Prosecutor's Perspective, an interview with Brad Shanelaben. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, for those who have been following the show for some time or who are familiar with the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University, you know those are three mantras of studying the issues, being a voice, and making a difference. And that's uh, what we attempt to do in every conversation on this show. And I'm really excited today that we have uh, an expert with us who will uh, help us to further study these issues, give us even more resources that will help us to be uh, even more effective in ending human trafficking. And our guest today is Brad Shanelaben. He is a deputy district attorney with the heat office of the OC district attorney's office uh, here in Orange County. Uh, component, it is a component of the OCHTTF and the OCDA's Human Exploitation and Trafficking, which is the heat unit, which targets perpetrators who sexually exploit and traffic women and underage youth for financial gain, including pimps, panders, and human traffickers. And he's here today to provide the perspective from the prosecutor's angle. Uh, Brad, welcome to Ending Human Trafficking. Morning. Thanks you. Uh, thanks for having me. So, Brad, you and I have known each other for a few years, and I remember when the heat unit was first assembled, and the idea that we would have prosecutors in our district attorney's office solely focused on putting away people who target and exploit women and children. And there was a great deal of excitement. And now that you've been doing it for a while, uh, we think that your perspective would be really helpful for our listeners to understand just how difficult this ending human trafficking is based on putting the bad guys away. So let's kind of start off with um, how you got into this job. Kind of want to tell us that. Yeah, um, what happened was, you know, as a prosecutor, I got into being a prosecutor because I wanted to help people um, kind of have a voice for the victim and, and frankly, put the bad guys away, right? Um, but what ended up happening was a few years back, uh, a buddy of mine and I started, we saw some cases involving pimping. And at the time, Anaheim Police Department were doing some amazing forward-thinking things on how to address human trafficking. And we as an office were not... Uh, up to speed on terminology, the lingo. We weren't sure what we had when we had it. And what I mean by that is we would get, as an office, we would get pimping cases or trafficking cases. And I think we kind of felt like we, in looking back, we under-prosecuted those cases because culturally in law enforcement, no one really understood what those cases are. We didn't understand how badly the victims were treated. We didn't understand how... um, great the exploitation was. And frankly, we didn't understand how the exploitation of these uh, young women and men were carried out. And so as a result of that lack of understanding, we just, we just didn't prosecute it to the fullest extent uh, 
in looking back. And what happened was when Anaheim came to us, they said, hey, we got some cases here that we just want to make sure that you guys really um, really take some time with. And they educated us, uh, myself and uh, my colleague, and educated us on, on the lifestyle of pimps and traffickers as well as the, the victims. And once we started understanding that there's a whole subculture involved, we became instantly better prosecutors on those cases because now we understood what we were looking at. We understood the evidence that we had in front of us. And so that kind of started a shift for us to say, hey, there's this whole victim set here that needs our protection and that needs um, justice themselves. And there's a whole group of individuals and defendants who were not getting the justice they deserved, meaning they were not being put in prison, they were not being held accountable for their exploitation of these uh, young men and women. And we felt like that was a that was a huge gap. And so once we started learning about it, we just... I think we've kind of had a heart for these for these victims, um, and so we were able. Fortunately, the office was gracious enough to start a unit where we can spend all of our days solely focusing on prosecuting human trafficking, pimps, panders, and so on, and protecting the girls who are in the life. And that's basically how we got started. So let's let's go back and and define some terms because sure. mostly people think of Hollywood images of pimps and when I use the term pimping and pandering people know kind of what pimping is they don't get the pandering what's that and how does that relate to human trafficking so define those three terms Yeah so one of the biggest challenges that we face frankly as a unit is we have a challenge in fighting the pop culture Pop culture, there's an, an idea of a pimp. It's almost, it's almost glamorized. Um, there are songs about it. There are movies about it. Um, it, it to some extent, it can be kind of cool. Um, and there's even, even on the other end, it's almost a, it can be seen as a joke, right? There are pimps and hoe parties where people dress like pimps from the 70s and, and then women will dress like prostitutes. And, and back then, I get it. Um, but now after seeing it, I realize this is a whole different ballgame that we're dealing with. <clears throat> when I talk about um, pimps, I think that I don't, first of all, I don't think that you can separate pimps and traffickers. I think the only thing that really separates a pimp from a trafficker is just the degree of which he exploits another. Um, and by the way, I say he, but we have both men and women uh, who have been found guilty of both pimping as well as trafficking. Uh, from a legal standpoint, what I'm looking for is without getting in the nitty gritty, uh, the legal standpoint is simply a pimp is someone who knows someone's a prostitute and gets money or support from the prostitution, prostitution earnings, and that's it. A panderer is someone who, in essence, encourages someone to become a prostitute or encourages them to continue prostitution activities or grab someone or um, facilitates a person to be put in a house of prostitution. That's pandering. Human trafficking is a little bit different. Human trafficking of an adult is, in essence, you're depriving an adult of their liberty or violating their liberty to pimp or pander that person. Um, human trafficking of a minor is simply, the best way to look at it is you're pimping or you're trafficking a minor if you're pimping or pandering minor. If you are causing a minor to engage in a commercial sex act with the intent of uh, pimping that minor or pandering that minor, you're guilty of human trafficking of a minor. How long have you been doing this particular job on the heat unit now? 
So we started, uh, we did it informally um, back in 2012. And what I mean by that is we just, we kind of asked the office if we could start taking some of these cases um, because we had an interest in them and we wanted to learn more about them. And so we started handling them kind of informally and they would get funneled to us um, up until the unit got created. And the unit was officially created in April of 2013. And what that has allowed us to do over the last three years is we, in essence, prosecute any person who commits the crime of pimping, pandering, or human trafficking. And, but over the last few years, we've noticed that there's other things related to this unit, such as um, rape of prostitutes are pretty common. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of prostitutes will just say, well, that's a cost of doing business. And in fact, pimps and traffickers will simply tell you or tell the girls, hey, you didn't get raped, you just didn't get paid. Right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these girls don't even realize that they're rape victims um, because the people that are exploiting them say, hey, you, that's not real rape. And so what we've, we've kind of come to the conclusion that uh, we think our, our unit is best to handle those. So in addition to handling any case involving pimping, pandering, or trafficking, we've also asked to have um, any rape of prostitute cases or any extreme violence on prostitute cases, such as assault with deadly weapons against a prostitute. Um, and the reason for that is we feel as though um, the, the women involved in this lifestyle are a unique victim population. They have specific needs. They have specific um, ways in which you can handle them. And what I mean by that is you talk to them differently or you treat them differently um, because they have characteristics of being a domestic assault victim. They have characteristics of being a, a sexual assault victim or even a victim of gang violence. They share character traits of all of those types of victims all rolled into one. And so the more you understand that victim and the more you understand how to talk with her and how to help her, the better you are able to prosecute that case in which she's a victim. So we've, we've kind of broadened our caseload from beyond just trafficking cases into anything where a prostitute is a victim. So, so you're talking more than along the lines of victims of sexual exploitation and for some of our listeners, we try so hard to avoid the use of the term prostitute. Right. And, and, and you, you understand that in this culture too, but the laws still use that terminology. Right. And, and I use it in the, in the phrase of just to say, yeah, this is, law enforcement will say, hey, we have a prostitute who has been raped. Okay. Mm -hmm. I look at her as a victim, right? Um, for the last couple of years, we've, we have tried to go away from the terminology of just saying, well, she's a prostitute. Well, no, she's a, she's a, a human being who has been exploited by somebody else who is forced or coerced into committing acts of prostitution. Um, so there is certainly a distinction. Um, but, but we have noticed that this victim set truly does have unique characteristics that when handled right, they can do amazing things. I mean, some of the women that we've been able to meet over the last couple of years, has, they've been nothing short of remarkable. Mm. Um, and, and their strength and courage to, to get out of the life um, has been just amazing to watch. I, I can hear the respect in your voice, and that is such an encouraging thing for some of our listeners who may actually be in a place where they're under control of a pimp. Um, so when when I listen to you talking about the unique set of characteristics of the victim, um, but you're prosecuting the offender, uh, the right. perpetrator. So you, you have why are you involved with the victims? 
Well, and that's something that's kind of unique about our unit. Um, oftentimes, in a normal structure, you you don't when you have a, a criminal case comes in. It, oftentimes, the, the prosecutor may or may not have that much interaction with the victim. Um, what we like to do in our unit is try to get contact with the victim as prosecutors as quickly as possible and get to know them. Um, the the bottom line is we have a we have decades of mistrust that we have earned in law enforcement towards the victims. The victims of trafficking have been told their entire life that law enforcement wants to either arrest them or simply use them to get a conviction. Uh, and they'll throw away that victim once they're done getting that conviction. And it's very hard when you first come across a victim to try to earn that trust. And, and you have to earn it. You can't, just, you can't just be nice to them and say, well, here, I'm, I'm here for you, I'm here to help you, and expect that you know, five years of her being on the street, seeing nothing but exploitation and being treated poorly by being in the system, whether it be foster care or criminal justice system, I'm not going to come in and meet her that first day and just go, okay, well, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I'm here to help you and expect her to just give me a hug and say, thank you for your help. Um, so what we've tried to do is to, to get these victims on board with prosecution and frankly, to get them out of their life, out of the, the life, which is our primary goal. Um, we found it most successful if we get involved early on, we get to know them early on. So we have a chance to earn that respect and earn that trust, um, which sometimes is, is daunting and, and, is a hard road, but we've been successful at it. Um, and I, I think one of the things that we train other law enforcement agencies, uh, and we're still working on it, is consistency. The more we're consistent with these victims, the more they will see that, hey, we are here for them when they are ready to gather life. I'm not going to be able to force anyone to stop committing acts of prostitution if they are really coerced by an exploiter or if they are set on not trusting me. I can't force that. Um, but what I can do is I can plant a seed that says, hey, you know, when you're ready to get out of this lifestyle or when you're ready to break away from your uh, exploiter, we are here to help. There are people who care about you. We care about your future. We believe in you. Just give us a shot. But we're not going to force it. And um, ironically enough, in meeting the victims over the last couple of years, when we first started, you know, we, we thought, oh, well, we're in the white hat. We'll come in, we'll say, hey, we're here to help get out of the life, and we'll, we'll save all these girls. And we, we were ridiculously arrogant and naive to think that, that it was as easy as that. And lately, what we found the most successful way to get these girls uh, on the right path and away from the person who's exploiting them is simply to say, hey, it's your choice. We have the ability to help you if you take it, but you get to make that decision. So when you are ready to make that decision to put your life on, on a different track, we are here for you. Um, and, and that's a much better approach that, w that we found uh, that works for our unit as opposed to, again, doing what other people have tried to do for these, uh, these victims, which is tell them what to do. Um, and that has not been very successful when we try and go that approach. Yeah, they've already experienced being under the control of other people with more That's power. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then I'm no different than a pimp. I'm just exploiting them for, for different reasons is, uh, is the mindset. So what we try to do is we try to take a victim-centered approach, which is we provide them resources to leave the life if they, if they choose, um, keep them safe and get them on track, if, again, if they choose. And even if there are women out there who are going to commit acts of prostitution while they're being exploited, whether it be just by a pimp or a trafficker, who uh, they're going to get arrested. 
right? They're, they're going to, um, they're not going to cooperate with law enforcement. There's going to be, that's going to happen. Um, and to some extent we have to say, okay, we know that's going to happen, but we just want to make sure that we, even if, if that young woman is getting arrested for say prostitution and a law enforcement has interaction with her and arrests her for prostitution, we still want law enforcement to take a victim center approach, even if they're going to take her to jail. The idea is it's planting the seed and changing the mindset of, hey, law enforcement's not just here to put you in jail, we're here to help you. Um, and so if we can plant that seed every time they come into contact with a, a prosecutor or a cop, then, then we've planted that seed that, hey, again, we're here to help, we're here to help, we're here to help, and then eventually um, that might take hold. I might never see it, um, but down the road you never know if the next time she's in a different county she might meet a prosecutor and she might say, hey, I remember that guy back in Orange County, and he said the same thing, and I'm ready to get out. Um, and so um, that's, that's been our, our kind of mission is just plant the seed and just hope it grows. That actually leads me into one of my questions, Brad, of speaking of things that you see and don't see, you know, we've, we've got the formal numbers as far as arrests and convictions. Um, and yet I know that many of these things go underreported. And um, sure. I imagine that they're that you see a lot more than the average person. And I know I'm very naive, even living here in Orange County, of what um, what is really going on. And I was wondering if you can provide us just with some perspective on how much of this does your office see? What do some of the numbers look like? And what how, how good a job are we doing at approaching uh, getting around some of these issues, even here locally? Okay, well, first, I'll, I'll answer the last question first. We're doing a terrible job. Um, <laughs> we're doing a better job than we used to be doing. Um, but we're still, you know, it's a hard issue. Um, it's a, human trafficking is one of those things that is extremely difficult to stop because the victims involved are vulnerable victims. They're very mistrustful uh, or mistrusting of law enforcement. Um, the traffickers and pimps have done an excellent job of avoiding prosecution for decades. Um, and we're just now starting over the last couple of years, you see law enforcement statewide just start to figure how to do this. And so I think we're still, we are on the right path. I think we're doing much better, um, but we still have so far to go in how we target the traffickers, how we go after the traffickers, how we help the victims. I don't think you can, I don't think you can do both. I always say, by the way, targeting the traffickers and, and helping the victims the same, because I think you have to have um, those goals in mind both on a morality issue, but also just even if you want to put guys in prison, you got to help the victims too. Um, and that, I think those go hand in hand. In terms of the breadth of the problem, uh, <laughs> I, I cannot underestimate um, how big the problem is, even in Orange County. If, if I were right now, Orange County is a, a good community, fairly safe as, as far as counties go, but if I were to go online, I could go on one website, one, uh, and pull up 300 prostitution ads just on one website for my county. Um, and that's one of dozens of websites that have ads for prostitution. If, for you to really understand human trafficking, you actually have to understand prostitution. And the reason I say that is because you have to understand how rampant prostitution is. That will give you an idea of how much trafficking is going on. Our conservative estimates, and this is from uh, pimps, from victims, and from law enforcement throughout the state, our conservative estimates are 85% of the girls on the street or on the internet have someone exploiting them, whether it be technically called a pimp or a trafficker, but some method of exploitation. 
So when you think about that, you know, I've got, I pull up an ad or I pull up a, a prostitution website. If there are, you know, 300 ads just on that one website, I know 85% of those at minimum in my experience uh, are victims who are being exploited in some way. And so that's just one ad, and that's just on the Internet. That doesn't count um, all of the ads in various international newspapers, in um, Hispanic newspapers, in Asian newspapers, uh, on the streets themselves where girls don't advertise in any papers. They just work on the street or what's called the track. Um, the track is just the name of, of where the uh, girls will actually commit acts of prostitution when they're walking up and down the street. Um, and so when you look at it that way, we're, we're just scratching the surface at how bad um, and how big the problem really is. I get asked all the time, where in your county do you have a problem? And I will simply say anywhere. Mm. Anywhere you have a roof, um, anywhere you have a car. Uh, we have had cases in, in our county where they are in poor areas. We've had cases in rich areas. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, I, there are order forms in the Internet for women. I mean, literally, I can buy a woman and have her to my house within an hour. I can, I can fill out an order form and, and search her height, her weight, her ethnicity, um, her bust size, and I can have her to my house within an hour anywhere in the county. And so with that kind of accessibility to prostitutes, you understand that it's not, that's the breadth of the human trafficking problem because, like I said, 85% of those um, women are, are exploited by someone. And so it's just, we're just scratching the surface. So the, the number of cases that have been prosecuted in Orange County and successful convictions, to give us those numbers. Yeah, I don't have exact, um, uh, exact numbers of defendants that we've actually prosecuted. I know we've prosecuted over 100 um, felony trafficking or pimping cases, and the, most of those have gone to, to prison. The most interesting thing I think about our numbers is when we when we started the unit, there was a big feeling of one, do you even have a big enough problem to justify two full-time prosecutors to prosecute these cases? Well, we answered that very quickly in that now we actually have three years later, we have four full-time prosecutors handling mm. these cases and we're still overworked. Um, and then the second issue was, well, you'll never be able to prosecute these cases because... Um, as you kind of alluded to earlier, these girls, they're just prostitutes, right? That, that's the conception or the perception in the community. It's they're just, whether it's law enforcement or the public, hey, she's just, she's just a, a prostitute. She's never going to cooperate. She wants to be doing this. She wants to be out there earning money. And you're never going to get convictions. And what we found is that that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, our conviction rate is ridiculously high. Um, I think out of... In the last three years, maybe we've maybe we've dismissed five cases that we haven't been able to actually prove. We we reject almost none. Um, and um, and the other thing, more importantly about it, is we found that these women, obviously, as as you all know, are a lot more than just prostitutes. You know, these are these are this is someone's little girl, mm -hmm. right? And and when you start to understand the problem, it's not just some girl who really wants to be out on the street. Uh, making money because when when you start looking at it, most of the time she's not making a dime. Uh, most of the money that these prostitutes, uh, this, these alleged, oh, I I want to be doing this. Most of the money that they make goes straight into the hands of the pimp or trafficker. They don't ever see that money. 
or they see it for a moment until they hand it to the person exploiting them. So there's a lot of myths involved that we learned very quickly. We learned about the myth of they want to be doing it and earning money. They don't. Um, when you really think about, the, again, this goes back to the issue of prostitution. You have to understand prostitution. There's, in the, there's a public perception uh, that, hey, let's, it's two consenting adults. Let's let two consenting adults pay for sex, and, and who cares? But again, we found that to be a myth. Most of these women don't want to be doing this. And when you think about it, it makes sense, right? Most of our girls are, you know, have sex with, with clients anywhere from eight to 15 times a day. Um, and I, I, would, I would be hard-pressed. Oh, and, and, and by the way, these aren't, you know, the Richard Gere from Pretty Woman type of people, right? Mm. I mean, you have clients of, you know, all kinds of backgrounds who get to work you and do whatever they want to you for the time that they paid for in some dirty motel or some car off the side of a street, um, when you really think about what's happening with these girls, I have a hard time imagining that it's glamorous or have a hard time imagining that she really wants to do it and that she's having fun or it's sex between two consenting adults when it's like that. Um, again, so we've just found that that's a myth. We've talked to you know, hundreds of, of victims and, and pimps and and. I don't know how you come to a conclusion other than this is not a lifestyle by choice, that the vast majority of women who get into this are get into it because they were either forced, coerced, or manipulated into this lifestyle. And once you understand that, then you can understand, you can look past what you see them as, which is, okay, they are more than prostitutes, they are victims, they are someone's little girl, and, and they need to be helped, and the person exploiting them must be held accountable. And that's what you are really good at, Brad, holding the exploiters accountable. And they are going to prison. They are serving um, lengthy sentences. But as I ran into a friend of mine who is a police officer in um, another city here in Orange County just the other day, and she was um, very excited because the perpetrators got some significant time in in the case, but she was also devastated because the girl had left the 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 program that was helping her and exiting sure. and had returned to the life in another state right. and so how do you how do you keep on going brad we've got just a few minutes of our half an hour show and i told you we'll have to bring you back but sure. how do you keep on keeping on um first of all, you have to understand anybody listening to this or anyone who wants to get involved in the fight against human trafficking, you just have to have um, patience and you just, you, you can't look at it at short-term gains. You just can't. Otherwise you'll, you'll, you'll lose your mind. You cannot go into human trafficking saying, okay, well, I'm going to help a girl. You find a victim and I'm going to help her and she's going to get out of the life and I'm going to wear the white hat and I'm going to feel really good because I just saved this young woman from a life of prostitution and trafficking. It just doesn't work that way. The vast majority of women that we come into contact with, by the time I get to see her, she's already been worked by God knows how many different exploiters for her life. And oftentimes that doesn't, even if she's 16, it's most, as you probably know, most women who get involved in prostitution start when they're 12 to 14. And out of those 12 to 14 year olds, they got involved because they were exploited by someone else. Someone, a trafficker started them in, in that path. And so for those, because so many women start at that age, those are really important years. 
uh, a lot of women who get involved in this stuff, again, whether it's by coercion, manipulation, or force, regardless, they do it for a long time. And that's all they know. And that's almost becomes that, that kind of life of hell almost becomes their reality. And so what you end up finding is you find um, that when you, you can go in, you can, let's say we have a case with a, a pimp or a trafficker and we save the girl and we go, oh, good for us, we've saved her. Well, no, um, we haven't saved her from the lifestyle. We've saved her from him maybe, and he might be going to prison. But I'm, I've got to combat four years of her being on the street mm. only knowing this lifestyle. And I'm not going to be able to walk in on day one going, hey, you should go get a job at a fast food restaurant and make 12 bucks an hour, um, and this is going to be good for you. And by the way, you're a victim, and by the way, you're worth it, and you're going to be doing something amazing in your life. She's not going to see that. A lot of the girls that we talk to, they don't even see themselves as victims. So when you say, hey, you're a victim of human trafficking or you're a victim of this pimp, that's only, we don't even say that now. Um, I don't. I don't tell them that because they don't see themselves as victims yet. They their their self worth is so low, and their self esteem is so low that for them they have been sometimes literally beat, or at least mentally beat, into the idea that they are just a piece of property. That all they are good for is sex and and blowjobs and and all kinds of awful things in cars and motels throughout the state or the country. That's all they're good for. Right, so when I come in and say, "No, you are worth something," that's that doesn't just sink in right away and going, "Oh yeah, I am." It takes a lot of time, and so um, one where we've seen success is where you see a lot of different groups work together, where it's law enforcement working with social services, working with counselors, working with um, uh, the court system to try to get these girls, give these girls the resources. But at the end of the day, you can do all of those things, but like I said earlier, you can't force her to just leave the lifestyle, the one thing that she has, she's kind of grown up knowing now. And so um, for me, I, I'd had a rough, uh, I'd had a rough day a couple of years back. I'd had a rough day where one of the girls that we've been, we've worked really hard on giving her the kind of a safety net for her to go back and get out of the life. And she, um, she, she it worked for two, three months. We all felt very good about ourselves, um, and which is often um, your first sign of a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. And and so she was doing well, and then I get a call that she was now back with a, a new pimp, and um, he had kind of sucked her back into the lifestyle, and she was out working again. And then I had gone looking, we had gone looking for another victim, and we'd seen hundreds and hundreds of ads, and you just see the faces of all these kids that you're probably never going to be able to get or never going to be able to save. And you get to a point where you're like, wow, this is pretty discouraging. And then my boss came in and told me the the, the starfish story. Um, and if you if you like, I, I could tell it to you now. If you don't, go ahead don't and know give it. us the um, short version. So the short version is in essence this. Um, he says, and I told him I was like, hey man, you know, this is pretty discouraging. And I told him what happened. He goes, have you ever heard the starfish? No. So okay, little boy on the beach. There's all these thousands of starfish on the beach. And they're they're washed up on shore, and they're going to die if they don't get them back in the water. And the little boy walks along and starts throwing starfish into the ocean. And this old man comes along, and he says, little boy, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm, I'm saving the starfish. I'm throwing them back in the water. And the old man says, little boy, there are thousands of starfish. It won't matter. What you're doing won't matter because you can't save them all. And the little boy bends down, picks up another starfish, throws it in the ocean, goes, matter to that one. 
And so for me, um, that for whatever reason, as cheesy as that is, it sounds like something off a poster or an email, uh, an email forward. Um, for me, it just kind of stuck. Like, yeah, we've got a big daunting fight. Um, but every time we work on one of these girls to get her out of the life, every time we plant that seed or every time we are successful or show that we care, show that we believe in her, show that she can make something of herself, um, that matters to her. Now, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of more victims that I'll never get to touch. Um, I'll never get to talk to. I'll never get to like reach out and get her out of the life. Um, but at least to the ones that we get here in Orange County, the ones that we get to actually come into contact with that we're blessed to get to know, um, it, it hopefully will matter to that one. And that's kind of what keeps us going. And the more we can spread that message to other agencies throughout the country, then the bigger impact we'll have. Um, things like this podcast, the more people hear about human trafficking, um, the better off um, we'll be on this fight. Well, Brad, I am very grateful that you are picking up starfish in Orange County. <laughs> I'm really glad. Thank you so much for oh, agreeing to be on our show today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Brad, indeed. And, you know, it's uh, Sandy, every time we have a conversation like this, um, you know, we've heard so many of the numbers before and the stories, and yet it hits so close to home. Um, I mean, I know most of our listening audience is not in Orange County. Um, but here, just thinking about some of the numbers involved in the stories Brad shared, uh, just uh, I hope, uh, like like us, that you just feel uh, inspired to um, to do the thing you can do to add to uh, how we end this all together. And like Brad said, it's not a there's no there's no easy fix here. It's 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 an ongoing process of being patient. And so, uh, one of the things that you're doing is listening to this show to study the issues, be a voice, so you can make a difference. And we're very grateful for that and grateful for your participation and wanting to be a voice in that journey. And uh, we hope you'll check out the show notes for the things that have been mentioned on today's show. You can also reach out to us directly with comments or questions uh, by email at gcwj at vanguard.edu. That stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. Or you can reach us by phone 714-966-6360. And for those of you who use Facebook, uh, search for the Global Center for Women and Justice on Facebook. You'll find updates of what Sandy's doing, the programs that are being run, and great ways to engage. And as you've learned many times on this show, it's all about partnerships, and that's a great starting point for you. We uh, look forward to seeing you again in two weeks. Sandy, thanks again, as always. Thank you, Dave. Bye. Take care, everyone.